rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton. Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over the Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman. This is Superman, Superman in the, the Bronze Age. Age. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 103 of Superman in the Bronze Age. My name is Charlie Niemeyer and before we go too far into the episode I need to offer an apology. I have made some errors last episode. The biggest one being I couldn't decide if it was UBC or UBS that Superman had signed a contract to work for. The station is UBC. I just couldn't decide which way I was going, and apparently I had it written both ways in my notes. So, sorry if there was any confusion. But beyond that, uh, I really don't have much preamble this episode, uh, once again, other than to say, hi. Uh, so let's jump real quick into our feedback. First up, we have Russell Bragg leaving a comment on last episode. And he writes, Hi Charlie, another sterling episode. Thanks to Facebook, I was able to download the episode to my iPhone and listen at work. I forgot for a minute that you were only doing one issue per episode now. That would give me time to try and study Superman 326. I remember liking that issue. Oh good. 325 sounds like a good issue too. I've still got to get it. Another chance to see the Supermobile, so I have to get it. I do have Action 481, but not 482. It was in my original When I Was a Kid collection, but it's long gone by now. Continued thanks for plugging my future show. Hopefully I ha I'll have at least one promo before your podcast ends. Better end here. I like the weekly format. Keep on trucking, Russell. Well, thank you very much, Russell. And once again, you know, it's kind of funny. He, was it, last episode, he said that he's not sure he's going to be able to write every episode, but he's going to try. He he, for the last two he's written them like literally the next morning after I've posted the show. So, he's right on the ball. So thank you very much, Russell. And yeah, like once again, I will say he is about to host DC Comics the DC Comics Presents show hosted by Russell Bragg, coming soon to a podcatcher near you. Now, also I wanted to go. Now here's my other apology. I had a review that was left on the show way back in October, and I don't believe I've read it yet. So I'm going to go. I'm going to take care of that now. This was written by someone 
you may have heard of before. Uh, apparently, the signer is uh, J. David Wetter, 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 something like that, and he posted it. He uh, the the bleh. the title of the review is solid, and he writes: Charlie picks some of the all-time great Superman tales and makes them even better by sharing some insight and some fun. Great download week after week. Well, thanks, Dave. Um, Dave. Used to be on the show. He was on the show when he wrote that. Hmm. Cool. Anyway, uh, make sure you check out Dave's show. He currently does Dave's Daredevil podcast every Sunday. It's another great show, and and his actually has already started, and it comes out weekly. And he's currently looking at Frank Miller's run on Daredevil, which is like the seminal run that everyone knows about. So make sure you check that out. But that's going to do it for the early part of the show, so here's a couple of promos, and when we come back, we'll look at this week's issue. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, The Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, The Schuster Herald Podcast, It's Superman, The Carousel Podcast, The Amateur Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The Vietnam War, a conflict that changed America. Of those who served, many came back irrevocably changed, while many did not come back at all. This is their story. Marvel Comics presents The Nam. Join me, Tom Panneries, for In Country, a podcast that covers Marvel Comics series The Nam. Each episode, I will recap and review one issue of the series, as well as provide historical context that's important to understanding the events behind the story. Along the way, I will also take a look at the movies, music, and literature surrounding the Vietnam War. New episodes are posted every two weeks at incountry.podomatic.com. You can find show notes and other media at popcultureaffidavit.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Superman number 326 had a cover date of August 1978, an on-sale date of May 8, 1978, and a cover price of 35 cents. The title of the story was A Million Dollars a Minute, written by Marty Pascoe, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Frank Schermonte, lettered by Ben Oda, colored by Jerry Serpe, and edited by Julie Schwartz. 
Picking up right where last issue's shocking cliffhanger left off, Superman reiterates his plans to expose his secret identity on television and explains our title as the amount of money that advertisers are paying UBC for commercial time during this special. In fact, he also brings out his contract which specifically requires him to reveal his secret identity on coast-to-coast -coast television. As Lana concludes her report, Superman seems to come out of a trance and realizes that he was in another one of his fugue episodes. So he makes a quick trip to Star Labs to talk to Dr. Clyburn. After a quick recap of the relevant events from the last issue, Superman thinks back on all that happened while he was in the UBC offices. After he'd been knocked out by Blackrock, Superman came to in a giant bubble created by Blackrock's Power Stone, at which point Blackrock's creator, Peter Silverstone, recaps the origins of Blackrock for those who hadn't read those stories. Yes, folks, this is a flashback within a flashback. Anyway, after the last defeat of Blackrock, UBC President Samuel Tanner decided that there was no point in trying to create their own superhero. They needed to steal Superman from WGBS, despite the fact that Superman doesn't work for them. Well, not when he's, you know, in the tights anyway. So he gave Silverstone one week to turn Superman into a UBC employee, or he'd be fired and never work in broadcasting again. So he created the Sonic Synapse Disruptor, which uses a high-frequency tone to alter nerve impulses at various synapses in the brain, allowing Silverstone to make Superman do or say anything he wanted him to. At this point, Superman has heard enough, but he can't break out of the bubble. Fortunately, though, Silverstone has Blackrock release him from the bubble anyway, so he can hit the Man of Steel with the Disruptor. But Superman does something kind of clever although, as I will mention in my notes, there's a little bit of a loophole in it. He covers his head with his cape, and then sucks in all of the air trapped inside, creating a vacuum. Since sound can't travel in a vacuum, Superman can't hear the sonic signal. And, of course, he can use his X-ray vision to see through the cape so that he can, you know, fight. Although, since he's got to hold it with one hand, he's basically having to fight with basically one hand tied behind his back. Before Superman can destroy the, the Disruptor, Blackrock uses his Power Stone to create a force field around it which even Superman can't get through. Superman then takes on Blackrock and is able to knock his Power Stone out of his hand, but Blackrock is pretty strong without it and punches Superman through an experimental giant picture tube, which causes a fire. Even though it means exposing himself to the Disruptor, saving lives comes first, so Superman removes the cape from his head and snuffs out the fire with his Super Breath. And that's the last thing he remembers until he came to outside of, w, outside of UBC. Now Superman has a two-part dilemma. One, he needs to stop the Disruptor since it can affect him if he's anywhere in the city limits. And two, he has to figure out a way to honor his contract without actually revealing his secret identity. See, he can't prove he was controlled into signing the contract, and to ignore the contract would ruin his honor, which in turn would ruin his reputation as a crime fighter, so he flies off to Silverstone's lab. There's more to that, but I'll get to that in the notes. Okay, meanwhile, high above the city, a strange hovercraft descends, with occupants who are looking for a teleport weapon. Sound familiar? Following their homing device, they land on the roof of 344 Clinton Street, where the craft turns invisible. Then a trio of strangely garbed men creep down the stairs and break into apartment 3D, 
Their homing beacon leads them to the closet of Clark Kent, where they eventually find the secret compartment, which not only contains the teleportation device that he confiscated from Skull last issue, but also his spare Superman costumes. But put that on the back burner for now, as we catch up with Superman as he busts into Silverstone's lab and destroys the Disruptor, only to find out that it was a fake, and therefore Superman has blundered into a trap. He's quickly attacked by Blackrock, who starts blasting Superman with his Power Stone. After crashing through a sign, Superman uses a chunk of it to knock the Power Stone out of Blackrock's hand, but that also punctures his glove, revealing to Superman that Blackrock is just a cloud of cohesive ionic particles in the form of a man. Since they're black particles which absorb energy, Superman bombards them with X-ray vision while, bo yeah, while dodging Blackrock's attacks, causing the particles to absorb too much energy and explode. Somehow, this causes Superman to figure out that Blackrock's Power Stone was the real sonic synapse disruptor as he enters the UBC building. And while Silverstone and Tanner worry about him coming after them next, Superman enters Studio D for his appearance on Profiles in the News, hosted by Lola Barnett. After a while, they get to the point where Superman is supposed to reveal his secret. And although he goes through with the reveal, we switch to the control room to find out that just before he changed to back to Clark Kent, the picture and sound completely malfunctioned. While Tanner now has to deal with angry viewers calling in and the possibility of the sponsor suing him to get their money back, we switch back to the studio to learn that Superman used his heat vision to cause the video and sound equipment to malfunction. Also, Lola was Wonder Woman in disguise, with Lola actually locked inside another room or a closet. Who, And then, of course, after retrieving Lola, Wonder Woman uses her magic lasso to make the real Lola, as well as the rest of the crew and technicians, forget that Superman is also Clark Kent. Then, with a film he somehow got from Silverstone's office, which apparently does prove that they fooled him, or tricked him and manipulated him into signing those contracts, although I'm not 100% sure there's really a film that does that. He may be bluffing. They don't explain it. Um... Superman uses that to threaten Tanner to, with exposure unless they tear up the contract, which Tanner does, much to his chagrin. Later that night, a weary Clark Kent returns to his apartment, only to be confronted by an agent of Cobra, who tells Clark that he knows he's Superman, and if he moves, he will be teleported into space in the midst of a red sun system, which would, of course, kill him instantly. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who. I don't care for anime. I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I have been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is. A crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called Views from the Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, 
I pick a particular series, or issue, or character, or whatever to talk about, and then I... Well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, The Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and from there you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Longbox. A podcast about comics, or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life, at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Look, up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world! Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man. Man of Steel and more. Supermanhomepage.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Now, see, that last page kind of took a turn for the what, didn't it? First off, let's look at the cover. Again, we've got a cover by Rich Buckler, but this time it's inked by Frank Giacoya. Not quite as dynamic as last time, but it still looks pretty cool. It looks like we've got Jimmy and Lois watching their television as Clark changes to Superman. It looks good except for the glasses. I'm wondering if the Clark glasses were a last-minute addition because they look wonky. It, it, I don't know. They just they look like a weird size. The angle's weird. I don't know what it is, but something looks wrong with them. Up in page 8, this is where Superman pulls that vacuum trick. The only reason this shouldn't work is because that while his cape is Kryptonian fabric, it's still fabric. You can breathe through fabric. Air gets through fabric. Therefore, Superman should not be able to create a perfect vacuum. However, the idea of him creating a vacuum is supported by the fact that Superman has numerous times in both the Silver and Bronze Age placed, Superman, placed people inside his cape and somehow they have enough air that stays trapped in there to allow them to to the people inside to breathe even though he takes them out into space or through the sun or any number or up to the arctic or any other number of places and environments so i don't know while it doesn't really work for physics it does work within the scope of the established comic book physics that we've had in the comics so take that as you will in any event, it looks pretty cool. Now, I like this on page 10, where Superman decides that saving lives comes before his safety, so he releases the cape so he can take out the fire. Now, I know that you're asking yourself, there's got to be another way he could have not taken out the fire without having to expose his head. Possibly. But I think they would have caused more damage. Uh, he couldn't do the sonic boom clap, because... He would have had to let go of the cape, which would have exposed his head anyway. And 
much of anything else would have involved some kind of flying at great speeds or doing a tornado move or something to suck the air away from it, which not only could end up harming Silverstone and Blackrock, since he thought Blackrock was a guy, but also would cause a lot more damage, so it's probably safer to just do the Super Breath version. That's my story, and I'm going to stick with it. Okay, now, page 11, we've got the point where Superman can't prove that they bamboozled him by with the whole Sonic Synapse thing. Granted, at this point, he didn't have the film with him. Maybe he went and got it after the whole program thing was over, but still, I there's nothing in here to indicate that he really had it. Then again, Superman doesn't lie. So, who knows? Um, page 12, we've got our Cobra agents finding Clark's closet. I didn't think it was supposed to be that easy to discover the um, secret compartment behind the closet. But then again, you know, they, they knew that what they were looking for was in there, so that could have made it a little easier. Granted, when they first opened the closet, they were just like, yeah, all we see are regular clothes. So it, I guess it makes sense. He's got a lot of suits. They're probably all blue. Uh, page 14, when Superman takes out Blackrock. Now, this reiterates the fact that the pre-crisis Superman's X-ray vision actually emits X-rays. Now, the only reason I have anything to say about that is because, uh, as I've mentioned before, my wife, Angie, is pregnant. And she actually asked me a geeky question involving Superman as to whether or not his X-ray vision would allow him to see the baby without harming it. Now, of course, as awesome as it was that she asked that question, uh, the unfortunate part is that <laughs> I had to feel even geekier because it was like, well, it depends on which version of Superman you're talking about. Pre-crisis Superman shoots out x-rays, which could harm the baby, so it probably wouldn't be a good idea. The post-crisis Superman, uh, or the post-crisis the to crisis era Superman, uh, he could do that because all that did was, I believe John Byrne explained it as somehow focusing in on the x-rays that are already in the air anyway, and allow, which allows him to see through things or something to that effect. In any event, it actually happens in an issue. I want to say it's got to be Superman 97, 98, 99, somewhere in there. Um, it's Chris, It's like Christmas Eve, and there's a snowstorm that's come through Metropolis. So Superman's going all over the place to help people, and one of the people he ends up helping is a woman about to give birth. It's the first time post-crisis anyway that he had to help someone give birth. And he, uh, he specifically asks her permission to check on the baby to make sure it's coming out the correct direction and explains that it won't hurt the baby. So, you know... You can't get more proof than that. After that, uh, post-Infinite Crisis, Superman kind of goes back to a shared post-Crisis, pre-Crisis continuity. I don't know how his X-ray vision works there. Same thing with New 52. I don't know. Those are ex the exact answer I gave my wife. She looked at me like I had four heads, so we just ignored it and moved on. In any event, this just reiterates my answer. I just felt like sharing the story. Moving right along. Finally, we get to page 17 with the Cobra agent. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that kind of came out of left field. 
Uh, Cobra is kind of new at this point, but I would not have imagined him taking on try, imagine them trying to take on Superman. And so I had no idea that this would have been coming. It's cool, and I, I look forward to the next issue, but it's just kind of unexpected. But that's it for my notes. We're going to go real quick through the ads, like I have before. The inside cover is that uh, ad for the superhero activity books and the DC Comics and paperback books. Same prices. Uh, the next ad is... Oh, by the way, I meant to mention this. Um, basically, anytime we see Dr. Clyburn in here, she's got these little ringlet curls that come down the side, almost like... I mean, they're not sideburns, but they're that's where they come down on her face. Unfortunately... The colorist, in this case Jerry Serpe, uh, is not able to cut the film fine enough to fill it, just fill in the curls, so it looks like she's got sideburns most of the issue. It's interesting. Anyway, uh, the next ad page is a half Slim Jim ad and half of a Grit ad. The next page is two halves of separate HodgePodge ads, which is odd. Uh, the next ad page is Twinkie ad, not a comic book thing, but uh, the top half, or basically it's about how you can get free baseball cards and especially marked boxes of Twinkies and cupcakes and Susie Q's and other hostess cakes. Now the next in-house ad page is really cool. Uh, once again, promoting the DC Explosion. We have three new features that are being added to several of the already ongoing comics. You can meet Cinnamon by Roger McKenzie and Jack Abel in, in which she adds spice to weird western tales. That looks pretty cool. Shazam! By E. Nelson Bridwell, Don Newton, and Kurt Schaffenberger is now in each issue of World's Finest. And the by the way, each picture has art by the art, whoever's doing the art for the stories, these look pretty good. I, uh, Cin Cinnamon looks actually not bad, but not all that great. Don Newton is one of my favorite artists. It's, an, it's a shame that he passed away so early in his life. Uh, inked by Kurt Schaffenberger, at least in this one image, also looks really cool. I kind of want to go find some of these World's Finest issues to see how it looks up close and personal. But Don Newton, I know his work mostly from Batman stuff, and it's it, it's beautiful. Uh, if you have a chance to see any issues with his art, go check them out. It's really cool. Uh, and then The Human Target by Lynn Wein and Dick Giordano, which we actually covered on this show for a little while, thanks to the fact that it was a backup feature in Action Comics, I believe. Uh, he returns to action in The Brave and the Bold. So that's cool. Uh, then, it's not really an, an house ad, but it features the DC heroes. Uh, it's that Holy Taste Buds is the famous Clark Bar superhero sweepstakes. Uh, first prize is a trip to New York, where you can take a tour of the DC offices, so an artist can draw you into an upcoming issue of your favorite DC comic book. Uh, and then, of course, you'll have plenty of time for sightseeing and things. And you even get 15 copies of the comic you're in. So that's pretty cool. Second prize is watches featuring some of your favorite heroes or villains. Or actually superheroes and or Joker. Third prize is a year's subscription to your favorite book. 
comic book. Now, they also had a similar ad featuring Marvel heroes. I, I'm, I'm guessing that other than the that the first prize with that one would have been the Marvel offices, but it's hard to tell because this does mention you could get your favorite uh, that when you win the year subscription, you can get your favorite DC or Marvel comic. Uh, incredible! They actually list Incredible Hulk, Red Sonia, Thor, Green Lantern, Plastic Man, Captain America, Wonder Woman, Justice Society, Miss Marvel, you name it, even Little Lulu. So that's pretty cool. And they also show some of these other things that you can get. Uh, there's flashlights and things with artwork pretty much based on like Super Friends stuff, although there is a Spider-Man kite. Yeah. Spider-Man on a Superman kite, it says. Weird. And then they show all this other stuff you can win. Radio control cars, stamps, belts. Uh, ironically, the Batman belt and the Spider-Man belt are pretty much the same. The only difference is it looks like you get... Batman's belt has a grappler. Uh, Spider-Man's belt has a communicator. That's it. Uh, there's a Superman lamp, some super posters, watches, glasses. It's, you know, not a bad ad. But that's like a three-page, no, four-page ad, which you don't see in comics too much. Uh, the next ad page is a uh, hodgepodge ad. Uh, the next page is part of the DC explosion for some of the stuff. 44 pages of comics for 50 cents. 25 pages of all new story. Starting the following month, June 1st, the comic, all of the comics that DC publishes go up in page count and price. Everything goes up to at least 50 cents, but they also get a bunch of cool backup features. Uh, for example, Action Comics is going to get the Atom. And I don't know what else because everything else is covered by copy. But, yeah. And I can tell you right now, we're probably going to see some of that next episode. But they have a year-long subscription to most comics. The 50-cent titles only cost you $6.85. Which, now that I think about it, that includes postage and handling. So you're actually having to pay more. Then again, you don't have to pay the tax. So it depends on how much that would be. But in any event, yeah, weird. And then with the dollar titles, you get six issues for $6.85. So half a year, unless they're bi-monthly, which some of those were. Uh, the next page is a half and half. The top half is a muscle-building ad, and the bottom half is a 52-page masterpiece. The original Swamp Thing Saga. For 50 cents, now on sale. And this cover doesn't look half bad, but it doesn't look half good either because of the fact that the coloring used to color... To, uh, for the ad, look is terrible and really muddies up all of the art. Hopefully, they'll have this on the cool on Mike's Amazing World because I would like to see what this looks like, not muddied. I'm guessing it's Bernie Wrightson art, whatever it is. Very moody looking art, so I look forward to that. Uh, the next page has an ad for the Neil Adams Art Club. Neil Adams has been commissioned to do a series of twelve black and white drawings. Each drawing will be reproduced on a beautiful, heavy returned, I'm sorry, heavy textured matted stock, each suitable for framing. So you get copy. You can get a copy, eighteen by fifteen copy, of some original artwork. So that's kind of cool. 
the next add page, uh, the next page is the DC feature page, not a daily planet. The top half is a bunch of questions asked to the answer man. And the bottom half is a profile of Jerry Conway. I'm not going to bore you by reading those, but it's, it's kind of cool. Uh, next up is a bodybuilding ad. Then we have another hodgepodge ad. And the back page ad is uh, an ad for gliders. They're computer designed for highest performance. Trihedral fuselage for super strength. Structurally braced wings and easy assembly. You don't even need tools to put them together. Yeah. Anywho. Moving over to DCIndexes.com, which is Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. And looking at the uh, the other comics that had a cover date of August 1978, Batman seems to be the victim of the Wirehead Killers in Batman number 302. Looks like it's the Supermen versus the Superwomen of the Justice League in Justice League of America number 157. I say that I think the girls are outnumbered. It looks like Black Canary, Wonder Woman, and Supergirl versus... Superman, Green Lantern, Flash, Batman, Green Arrow, Aquaman. All because they're under the control of the Diabolical Siren. Uh, Mr. Miracle number 25 uh, has... Wow. Uh, looks like Big Bart is going to take down Mr. Miracle. All under the... Uh, the all. Yeah. I guess she's under con the control of Granny Goodness. Going, judging by this cover. That's not good. They're married. Or at least they are at some point. Shade the Changing Man number 8 features the gambles. Uh, and of course, uh, this is Steve Ditko on art and plots. Not He didn't script it, but he did do the artwork on it. So that's kind of cool. Uh, Firestorm the Nuclear Man number 4. When Laughs the Hyena. So Firestorm takes on the hyena for the first time. And of course, uh, that's almost finished. So we're that means, judging by the this issue, that indicates to me that we're very close to the implosion. Um, Flash number 264 features Golden Glider's final fling. Uh, apparently the Flash is quitting as a hero, although... Barry doesn't seem to understand that. I don't know. Hard to explain. Anyway, uh, Super uh, Superman. Aquaman goes up against the Ocean Master in Aquaman number 63. Uh, Batman Family number 19 features several different news stories. Batman is in the Tomb of the White Bat. Batgirl goes up against the Sino Superman. I've read some of that. They're um, humans given bits of actual superhero powers. Um, Robin has a story, the crime rate, the crime rate is earth-shaking. Man-Bat, the once and future Man-Bat, and Huntress, Gotham Town is burning. So that's cool. Uh, Hawkman, once again, features in Showcase, number 103, Adventures on Other Worlds, where he's work, where he teams up with Hawk Girl looks as though looks like the Legion is losing a battle to save the Earth in Le Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes number two forty-two. Uh, Green Lantern one hundred seven features Hal Jordan trying to, desperately to save a world from a comet, but they won't let him because he's apparently the man that killed their Green Lantern. 
Also, it's the premiere of a new feature, Tales of the Green Lantern Corps. It's probably cool. Steal the Indestructible Man, which who started off as DC's as Earth One's only World War II superhero, because all the others were on Earth Two. Uh, but Steal the Indestructible Man goes up against the Gadgeteer. Mm-hmm. I say originally, Steal the Indestructible Man was eventually brought over to Earth 2 stories when Roy Thomas was on All-Star Squadron. In fact, they used some art from a story that didn't quite make it to print because of the implosion. Excuse me. Uh, in that in that book as well, so that's kind of cool. The Super Friends take on the Mindless Immortal in Super Friends number 13. Uh, world's Finest number 252. Superman and Batman have to discover the secret of the Whisperer. And also Wonder Woman, Creeper, and Green Arrow and Black Canary also have their own original stories in this issue. Superman uh, goes on a time-killing trip in Action Comics number 486. And finally, Wonder Woman number 246, in which we learn of the mystic power of Wonder Woman's tiara. It's a very nice-looking cover, by the way. It's kind of cool. It looks like, uh, like the Shadow Thief. hope I didn't just ruin it. Doesn't list the villain on here, but almost looks like it could be the Shadow Thief. But that's gonna do it for this issue for this issue. For this episode of Superman in the Bronze Age. Thank you all again for listening. Again, you can follow the show on Facebook. You can follow you can subscribe to the show on iTunes and if you do that I do ask that you please leave a review of the show or a comment on the on iTunes and rate the show so that we can move up in the ratings just in time for the show to end and you can also follow me on Facebook at superchuck1980 so thank you all again so much for listening we'll be back next time with the next issue and we'll see you then thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age hosted by Charlie Niemeyer show notes can be found at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com as well as links to the RSS and iTunes feeds and more also, we have a Facebook fan page where you'll get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted. Feel free to like us there. Want to comment on the episode you just heard? Email the show at superbronze1970 at gmail.com. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of both the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and the Comics Podcast Network at www.comicspodcasts.com. Make sure to check out both sites for more great podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you again for listening, and God bless. You can listen to our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or Palm phones on demand, and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio.